Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Great. Um, if you are joining us for the first time, we've been talking about the art of spirituality, and um, there's been some epic sermons to really dig into. Um, we've spoken about the practice of silence and solitude. Um, we've spoken about the practice of, of meditating on God's word and of gratitude, remaining in the attitude of gratitude to increase your latitude. <laughs> we've spoken about the gifts of sleep. Um, and as I mentioned last week, this is really about an ecosystem of spiritual practices so that we can thrive spiritually. Um, that's really, really the aim of the church is we want our community to thrive spiritually. Uh, and we've been speaking about the rivers of, of living water that we access when we engage in those things as we open our hearts up to God, open our minds up to God, open our, our bodies up to God. And we just want to access the rivers of living water that the word promises that we can have. There's no point in knowing that there's something out there to grab hold of, but then not grab hold of it. Um, and so we, we're chasing after that. We're chasing after that as a, as a community because when that river of living water comes in, it roots out burden and it roots out anxiety, it roots out worry, it roots out depression. Um, and there's no space for that when God pours into our lives. But the very notion of a river is such that it flows. And um, when we're talking about spirituality in this church, we're not just chasing after a church that's healthy. Uh, we're chasing after a healthy church that cultivates something in here and replicates that out there. Uh, and that's what a river does, is it comes through and it flows in and then it flows out. Uh, and so that's the purpose of this whole thing. The, the, the spirituality that we seek after is one that we cultivate in here and we replicate out there. And this is almost a coming back to recalibrate, uh, to refocus, to reprioritize, to meet with our brothers and sisters as we continue the mission, as we continue the mandate. Um, and this morning, I, I, I really just pray that we grab onto even more excitement for the mission, even more excitement for the the, the fact that God wants to use us, that he, he, he co-labors with us, that he chooses to partner with us, and that we have a role to play in this grand plan um, that he is, um, he is on about. So, Father, I just, I thank you that the, every single person in this room, whether they believe it or not, whether they know it or not, they are sons and daughters of you, and that you love them, that you're over the detail of their lives, and that, Father, you um, have created them in your image and therefore have made them significant role players in the mission of the kingdom. And we come back to that this morning. We surrender to that this morning, Lord God. In your name, amen. I'm gonna be speaking about um, another uh, practice this morning, and I'm gonna be speaking about surrender. Surrender. Um, this is quite a, quite, a, quite a meaty topic in that it's been one that I've been wrestling a lot with lately. So hopefully this morning I really land what uh, God has been doing in my own life through the topic of surrender. I really hope it makes a whole lot of sense to you. Um, but to go back to that sort of river, you know, uh, one of the things that I look back on was the church in Acts chapter 2, which was really, I guess, the initiation of the church. Acts chapter 2 deals with Pentecost. And we know that Acts chapter 2 speaks about the apostles in that room and tongues of fire came upon them. And so you get this group of, of, of believers that had the Spirit pour out on them. And the amazing thing about that is that as soon as the Spirit poured out on them, they immediately got up and got out. And that's exactly what we mean when we are spirit-filled, is that spirituality, spirit, when the spirit fills our lives, it initiates us to act immediately. 
And if we read Acts chapter 2, they didn't just bask in the glory of God in that room. They didn't just soak in the tongues of fire. They didn't just permeate in that space and go back every day for more and go back every day for more filling and for more of, those, um, of that experience. They got out into the community. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that they go out and they begin to prophesy and they begin to speak. Uh, and Peter, in addressing the crowd, quotes the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And so we are his people and he wants to pour out his spirit on our lives. And we want to chase after that. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. There's something beautiful about the Spirit coming into our lives and how we get out and we prophesy, we get out, we, we act on the Spirit, but then something changes around us. We have social reform that begins to happen around us. And we know that uh, Acts chapter 2, as it goes on, it speaks about this community that forms off the back of Peter standing up and, and prophesying over the crowd. And it says, this group devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and signs made by the apostles. Uh, they were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, broke bread in their houses, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so what we see out of this outworking of the Spirit is generosity, is praise, is worship, is joy, is unity, diversity, belonging, the, the multiplication this is how it's meant to work. We come and we receive, and we go out and we replicate, and we differentiate ourselves within the community that's around us right now. Not, not to create an, an environment of exclusivity. When I say differentiation, it's just this. It's this thing of taking the abundance and the provision and the authority and the anointing of God from our lives out into our communities. And so that's why when we say the church is, is a light unto the nations, it's because of that. Because people needed that. And there's so much need as we look around the city just in worship this morning, looking at those flats and thinking about all the people that are behind those windows and all the needs that exist behind those windows. And in a way, they're looking down at this church, but they don't know that this is the answer. And so we sometimes can't rely on them coming to us, hey, we've got to go out to them. Um, and we come here to refuel and we come here to put capacity back into our lives to be able to do that. So the Spirit drives action. But in order to really grab onto this, we've got to grab onto this topic of surrender. If you look in the world, um, there's a whole lot of writing on surrender. You can go and do surrender workshops. Um, there's a, a bestseller that was written called The Surrender Experience. Uh, sorry, The Surrender Experiment. Um, and in that book, I mean, I was just reading a bit about that book. It was a number one bestseller. It wasn't a Christian book. It was a book about, the, you know, the idea of surrender. And when you look at some of the, the outcomes or some of the the sort of pearls that they talk about that are dropped in that book, you just see how closely those skirt biblical truths. And it gives you an indication of what people are, are looking for. It says, relinquish personal fears and desires and simply let life unfold before you. Um, embrace the flow of life. Cultivate profound inner peace. Uh, you know, the world's looking for inner peace. The world's looking to relinquish their fears. Stop trying to make the outside world conform to your desires. Let go of the need to control everything. That burden and anxiety that comes from trying to control and trying to manipulate and trying to maneuver. People are seeking this practice of surrender because it means I can, I can let go, I can, I can unweight. I can remove this stuff, this weight off my shoulders and place your trust in life's perfection. 
How's this? I, I put this one, I think I did a slide on this one line that came out of this book. It said, am I better off making up an alternate reality in my mind and then fighting with reality to make it be my way? Or am I better off letting go of what I want and serving the same forces of reality that managed to create the entire perfection of the universe around me? You see how that just skirts the line. I mean, it's so, it's so there. You know? We just want to replace just uh, and serve God. You know? Um, serve God who created me, who creates my future, who's got my destiny in his hands, who's got my life in his hands, you know? Uh, and it's, it's almost like you just want to go and shake all these books and just allow the, the word to, to just replace a whole lot of lines, you know, so people can see that the, it started in here. It started in the word. It comes from God. He's the source of it. And we try and find the stuff outside of him. We try and seek the stuff outside of him. But the fact that these books are number one bestsellers, the fact that these books sell millions is because it's an indication of the heart of, of man. This is what they're seeking after. In John 10, it says, John 10 says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus comes so that we can have life. And so if he came so that we may have life, if we want life, where do we go? We go look to Jesus because he's got the answers. He's got the answers for us. So for all of us that are looking for life here, all of us that are chasing after this abundance life, that, that want inner peace, that want to, you know, embrace the flow, that want to stop trying to maneuver and to manipulate where we're going, and want to let go of control, Jesus is the answer. For me, the ultimate picture of surrender has to be Jesus on the cross. Um, there's a, a scripture in, in the word, Luke 2, 22, 20, uh, 42, and it's, it's Jesus praying to the Father before he goes to the cross. And you really get this, this picture of Jesus wrestling with the notion of the fact that he's about to do what he's about to do. And he knows that, that God has, has called him to pick up his cross and to carry it up the hill and then to be hung on it so that he can die. And there's a scripture in Luke 22, 42, it says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. This is that internal wrestle. And that's the beauty about Jesus coming here as human, wrestling with this notion of, I have to go and die now. But then the picture of surrender comes in. It says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my comfort, but this discomfort that you call me into. Not my desires, but your desires. That for me is the ultimate picture of surrender. And this morning what I want to do is I want to unpack three areas of our lives that I believe that we need to surrender that we see in the scripture, Luke 22, 42. And the three are, I'll just go over them and then we'll unpack them in more depth. The first one I want to speak about is the need for us to surrender to our current position. The need for us to surrender to our current position, submitting to where God has positioned us, placed us right now, tomorrow morning, where he has placed us, surrendering to the position or to the uncomfortable when we would rather be comfortable as Jesus surrendered to the cross. So surrendering to our current position. The second one is surrendering to the redemptive purpose that God has given us as sons and daughters. One which comes with a cost yet has an eternal significance. Surrendering to a position of a redemptive plan. Just like Jesus went to the cross because he knew that that was for the liberation of mankind. So we carry a purpose. 
If you come in here this morning asking yourselves what your purpose is, or if you've wrestled with the idea of what your purpose is, that will be answered by the time that you leave. We have a collective purpose in this room that Jesus gives to us in the Word, and we need to surrender to that purpose. So if we surrender to position, and we surrender to purpose within that position, God does something very significant in our lives. And the last thing that I want to talk about is surrendering it to God's plan. Surrendering unto God's plan for our lives. We are a people that plan. Lots of plans. I have plans. You have plans. But God has a plan for your life. We want to chase after that plan. We want to be surrendered unto position. We want to be surrendered unto purpose. And we want to be surrendered unto to His plan for our lives. And in that, I believe that God wants to liberate a few of us this morning as we surrender our lives into that space. Luke 9.23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I know when you read that scripture, it's a tough scripture. It's like, why would I want to be a Christian if I have to pick up a cross and die? And surrender can feel tough as well. Like, why, why would I want to be in the church if I'm caught to, 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 to sort of suck it up, you know, and surrender to my place and surrender to my position and take on this big purpose and whatnot. But there's so much else that I can do with my lives. But this is what it means to follow Christ. But I want us to read that not through the lens of heaviness, but through the lens of liberation. So God didn't design our lives to just be full of burden and weights. His yoke is easy. But how do we grab onto that? That's the thing is we've got to, we've got to wrestle with this. How do we grab onto it so that it's liberating? Um, and let's, let's do that together. Let's be a church that fights after that. I'm not going to be focusing on, on, on Jesus in this. I'm going to focus on a character. Of course, we'll be referring to Jesus, but I'm going to focus on a character who I think we can all identify with a little bit, a little bit more um, this morning. And I'm going to be looking at Jonah, or as I call him, Jonah. I'm not going there. All right. Is that a bit cheesy? Thanks for laughing, Pums. All right. And my peeps here, they're going to laugh at my jokes. <laughs> All right. Love birds, two of you. <laughs> all right, so let's turn to the book of Jonah. Thank you. Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3. So we all know the story of Jonah, high level, caught to Nineveh, decides to go to Tarshish instead on a boat. Doesn't go well for him, ends up in the ocean, then ends up in a big fish. Then ends up in Nineveh, where he was meant to go in the first place. All right. We're going we're gonna to look through this, um, this scripture, uh, some of these scriptures together. Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3. Let's talk about position first. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So we know that God asks Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Nineveh is a tough gig. It's the, kind of the capital of the Assyrian Empire. We know from the word that it's a very big city. I think I've got a bit of a picture of it. I don't know if it's an accurate picture, but that's what I found. Um, and this picture, the, 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 the city, it says it takes almost three days to walk across it. So you can picture a city that takes three days to walk across it. But we know from the prayer that the king prays a little bit later that there's a lot of evil going on in the city, a lot of violence going on in the city. Um, Assyria was an idolatrous, proud, and ruthless nation bent on world conquest and had been a threat to Israel. So for 
for Jonah, it's almost quite personal because this Assyrian empire had been a threat to his own people. And in a way, they were the enemy. And then they're, they're full of idolatry. They're full of evil. They're full of violence. And now God is saying to him, hey, Jonah, I'd like you to go and minister to those people. All right? And you can see how for, for, for Jonah, it's this idea of, I don't, I don't want to go there. That's where God's calling me to go, but I don't want to go there. And if we practically see that outwork, because he actually gets on a boat and goes in the opposite direction. Now, we read the story and we think, well, none of us are called to some evil, idolatrous city that takes three days to walk across it. But all of you might identify with the fact that tomorrow morning when you're waking up, you don't want to go where you're meant to be going. And it might be your place of work. And your place of work might not be an evil place full of violence. But at the same time, it could be a place that you just don't want to be at. And there's things that are, are, are outside of the kingdom of God that exist in that place, whether it's a toxic culture or autocratic leadership or relational tension with coworkers, just the stuff that you have to wade through when you pitch up at work. And when you wake up in the morning, you feel like Jonah because your position right now is in that place, but in reality, what you desire is another position. You want to get out of that position and into another position. It could even be your families. It could even be in your relational context. It could even be your communities, your suburbs. And so we wrestle with this idea of, I know I, 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 I have to get up and go to this place, but I don't want to be there. I want to be somewhere else. And Jonah is called to Nineveh, and we see him run, run to Tarshish. I once heard this term, the sin of escapism. I thought, you that's a powerful term. When things get tough, you know, when things are, are full of, you know, just grind, the daily grind, and this is hard, the sin of escapism becomes such a temptation. How many of you have found yourself saying, I wish I could just escape? Just live in the Midlands, live in a wide open space, not have to deal with people, not have to deal with my boss, not have to deal with this. I just want to seek another environment, an environment that's easier, an environment that's more uh, comfortable. You know, the sin of escapism. Let's get out of here. Am I the only one? <laughs> eh? The sin of escapism. And it is. It's hard. Throwing everything else that we have to go through. It's just like, man, I just want to go and live in the mountains. Lord, please, just want to live in the mountains. Come on. Just drive down to every nation on Sunday and then just go back. Drive down and just go back. You know, just feed and then go. You know, whatever. Let's go where it's lighter. Go where there are fewer issues. Go where it's easier. Basically anywhere other than where I am right now, Lord. The sin of escapism. But Luke 9, 23, his flashlights in your mind. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now why is surrendering to our position, liberating. Well, it's because we want to be a differentiated community. The world is constantly jostling for position. It's all about position. It's about the position in your corporates, which layer you're on, which band you're on. There's so many bands in corporates these days. A band, C band, whatever it is. You know, which, which position do you have? Or it's your position in society. You know, who you hang out with, who you're connected to, where you exist. Or it's the, the, the street address in the particular suburb. All right? Or it's the position that we have in the political environments. It's all about position. Position is essentially what we analyze. 
Because the higher the positions that we carry in different places, then the more success we've generated for ourselves. And so the world chases after position. And we're always trying to maneuver and manipulate the, 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 the things around us to be able to, you know, get into the right spaces and set ourselves up to move into the right positions. And that can get downright tiring. And in the and in the midst of doing all of that, we sometimes miss the fact that God has actually called us to a specific position, but we can't see it because we're chasing after that position. And God's asking us to be in this position. Why is this liberating? Because I get to wake up tomorrow and say, this is where God wants me to be. Stop the fight. Stop the plotting. Stop the scheming. Stop the, the, the political maneuvering and just be right, pres- right now. This is where God is called. Let him work in you where you are. Let him work in you where you are. And let him take care of the next position. Let him take, let him take care of repositioning you. Because if he has a plan for your life, he's going to move you into the plan. You don't have to worry about that. Let that go. Free your mind. Just be where he called you to be. Be in Toyota tomorrow. Be it every nation tomorrow, whatever it is. You know, the beauty about God is that he's a God of increase. We read in Philippians, where it speaks about Jesus, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we see that surrender unto position. God goes, Jesus goes to the cross, but what does God do? He says, therefore, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is about every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Jesus humbles himself, surrenders unto position, and in that obedience goes to the cross. And what does Jesus do with that? He elevates him. Our God that we serve is a God of increase. That's why it says in Luke 16, 10, it says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. As we surrender to this position, God will move us into another position. And it might not always be an upward position. It might be more influence. It might be more impact. I want to introduce you to a very good friend of mine, Cebu. Um, got a picture of, of Cebu. Cebu's from Vic Falls in Zimbabwe. And um, when Cebu came to Durban, he actually slept and lived right here. Um, you know this bowling green by the circle? He would sleep in the bowling green. Such a good man. And he would, um, he, he got a job in a rib shop. I didn't even know you get ribs shops. Ribs, like when you buy ribs, not like uh, ribs to eat. And um, the story was, was that he stewarded that position so well that the owner of the rib shop gave him the keys to open up and close up the rib shop and he would sleep in the rib shop. So he moved from sleeping on Gravel Bowling Club to sleeping in a rib shop. Then he got a job at Galito's, you know, that chicken thing. And he was at, working at Galito's and then through Galito's he managed to meet Marco who owns Mamalucianas and ended up working at the Mamalucianas in um, England Ashley. Mark at the time and uh, my sister's brother, uh, my sister's, my, my brother's wife's sister's husband. 
you. He has started a, um, my sister-in-law, sister's husband, he had started a restaurant next, next door to Mama Luciana's, and by now, Tabu was now working as a waiter in that particular restaurant. And every now and then, my wife and I would go and visit this restaurant because it was connected to the family, and we'd have breakfast, and we'd meet Tabu. And when Tabu would serve us as patrons in the restaurant, we were always blown away by Tabu's presence, by his character, by the way he stewarded that position. And talking to Ray, who owned the restaurant and whatnot, you could see that, that Sabu was just someone that they trusted, someone that they found to be trustworthy, and, and, and he stewarded his position as a waiter. And so soon after that, we opened uh, a, 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 a business called The Set, which is like a co-work space, and we, we asked the, the owners of the restaurant if we could employ Sabu into, um, as a barista and as like a bit of a manager in that space. And so he came to work for us. And for three years, he stewarded that position. Next door to us was Private Property, the brand that's, that you can go online and you look for property. And we um, had to move out of the building and we decided to close the set for a period of six months. But because he had stewarded the position at the set and got to know the people at Private Property so well, they said, well, we would really like him to come and work at Private Property and manage our entire canteen space. <laughs> then they eventually downsized and they retrenched the whole of the staff and one of them was his. But because Sabu had stewarded that position so well, they offered him a way to buy the machinery that he'd been using in the canteen. Sabu bought that, and at the same time, because of who he was, had made a connection in Belito, and all of a sudden, a space opened up in, in the Lifestyle Center, where Sabu now owns his own coffee brand called The Coffee Lab. I went to go and see Sabu the other day, it was his birthday yesterday, and he showed me his car. Now he's looking at other uh, coffee sites, and he's got a mobile machine that he's taking to events. The point is, is that Sabu didn't maneuver all of that. He didn't sleep on the gra gravel race course and say, I'm going to own coffee shops, and I'm going to write my, my, my vision statements, and I'm going to chase after this and whatnot. All Sabu did was just get into position, and God took care of the rest. When you get into position, he will put someone in your life. That person will move into position. Who's going to steward that? We worry and we just, we try and put, we try and move this thing forward ourselves. We've just got to be surrendered to position. And look how God just moves people around us. Because he loves you, because he knows what he wants for you, he will make it happen. That a man from Vic Falls who slept on a bowling green can now own a business and lifestyle center and replicate that business externally. He's got four or five staff that he leads. I love this. But it starts with us coming back and saying, where is your Nineveh? Where's the place that you fight every single day you don't want to go to? Because that's the place that God has called you to. Where is it that God asks you to be right now that you don't want to be? But then ask yourself this, why would God place a son or a daughter in that position? Why would he put you there? And if you weren't there, what gap would be left? Surrender. Pitch up. Let him take care of the rest. Let him take care of the next step. Let him take care of the next position. Surrender. Be liberated today from that. Be liberated today from that. The next area of surrender is our purpose. And I said to you today, if you're going to come here today without a purpose, you're going to walk out with one. 
uh, Jonah 3, 1 to 4, says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was so exceedingly, sorry, now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. First thing that we need to realize from this is a second time. All of us here have fought the position. Some of us have run from the position. But the grace of God is that he gives us a second chance, a second time. He gives us a chance to re-engage. It doesn't matter what you did last week. Tomorrow morning is another morning where you get to stand in a position. God is a God that says a second time and a third time. He will call us back into that. But as you can see in the scripture, not only was Nineveh meant to go into position, but he had a purpose in that position. And the purpose was for the liberation of the Nineveh city. The purpose was to call them into repentance. The purpose was to, to open their eyes to their ways and to point them away from idolatry back into seeing God. And that's the purpose that we all carry. And so if you don't know what your purpose is, the best scripture to go and read to find out what it is, is Isaiah 61, 1 to 4. We're going to read it together this morning. As sons and daughters, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So the Spirit is on me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. There we go. What's your purpose? To bring good news to the poor. That's part one. You've got the ability to carry good news into those that need the news. You've got the gospel, the truth, the word, the canon to be able to go out with and to take to the world. He sent you to bind up the brokenhearted. Part two. What's my purpose? Bind up the brokenhearted. Go and find the brokenhearted. Bind them up. Bring them back to God. Liberate. Bring good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. What else? Proclaim liberty to the captives. Those that are enslaved by worldly stuff, those are in the prisons that this world offers to bring liberty to them and opening up of this prison for those that are bound. Break the chains. There it is. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn. What's your purpose? To comfort those who mourn. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, to bring joy where there's burden, to bring um, but, you know, um, happiness and not when there's where, 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 where people are in tough spaces. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Strength instead of being weighted down. That they may be called oats of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that they may be glorified. So that they may build up ancient ruins. Raise up former devastations. And so repair the ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. Now, there's a lot of big language in there, but you get the point. The point is we've got the gospel. Our purpose is to go out and share it to reach people with it, to liberate them from the spaces that they're in through the power of God, to point them back to God who does the liberating. That's the collective purpose that we all carry. The world chases on, what's my purpose? What am I designed to do? What's my specific thing that I need to do? And there's certainly merit in, in exploring what your unique strengths are and your unique talents and your unique skills are. But here it says we get to bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, open the prison for those who are, born, uh, so who are bound, and comfort those who mourn. Liberty, freedom, restoration. As Jonah 
surrenders to his purpose in the position, the outworking of that is that Nineveh enters into a complete and utter social reform. They enter into repentance before God. Can you live out this purpose that I've just read out in your position right now? Tomorrow morning, can you live out this purpose in the position that God has put you in right now? Well, that's all you need to know. You can live out your purpose tomorrow in your position. Tomorrow, you can be purpose-driven in your position. That's what people are looking for, to live a purpose-driven life. Well, we've got that. Tomorrow morning, we wake up, we can do it. This afternoon, we can do it. We can be purpose-driven in our position. And all it took for Jonah was walking through a city, throwing a bunch of words at people, calling them, you know, giving them a warning. But look what Jesus did. There's four things that purpose frees us from in order to liberate us as we surrender to, 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 to purpose. And the first one is that it frees us from the need to compare. Comparison is the death of joy. That's not my statement, but it's very true. Comparison is the death of joy. But when we surrender ourselves to purpose, we don't need to compare because we don't need anything that anybody else has to live out the purpose. We just need this. We don't need to be like anybody else. We don't need to act like anybody else. We don't need to have a bigger church, a smaller church. We don't need to have, you know, we don't, we don't need to anything else. We don't, we don't have to compare ourselves just to the way somebody else talks, the way that they dress, the way that they look, nothing. Because we're a son or a daughter. We've got the word and therefore we can live out our purpose. Free from comparison. Gone. Eradicated. The second thing that we free ourselves from is the need to compete. We don't need to win. We don't need to be better. We don't need to have more followers. <laughs> we don't need to get more likes. We need none of that. Again, all we need is the word. We, we'll differentiate ourselves if we walk into the positions that we're in without the sort of hustle. The need to prove ourselves. The need to be better. The need to, to, to be ahead of that person. It's this complete freedom and grounded and sort of a centeredness that we have when we just enter into our position free from the need to conform, free from the need to compete. Just following God and doing what he asks us to do, being who we are, a son or a daughter. Going back to Marissa's tithing message, it frees us from the need to consume. We don't need a whole lot of material positions to live out this purpose, possessions. We don't need more. Look at what Jesus has. Uh, look, look, look at what Jesus had. Not even a house. Just a tent, stone to lay his head on. You see the pair of slops in a dress. <laughs> Joking. Yeah, and a good beard. <laughs> that uh, might be a bit gender um, exclusive there, Wayne. You do not need a beard to minister in the kingdom. Right. <laughs> Just put the camera on, Wayne, please. That's a, right. Then, purpose frees us from the need to conform. We simply need to be sons and daughters, do not conform to the patterns of, the, of this world, but just live in the rhythm of God. Just live in the rhythm of God. So this purpose frees us from the need to compare, frees us from the need to compete, frees us from the need to consume, frees us from the need to conform. Those are the only C's that I could come up with, um, but those are the ones that we put down. Purpose, purpose, purpose liberates us. 
as we take this purpose and we enter into position, and again, I ask the question, can you live out of purpose where you are in positioned right now? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Surrender to that. We see what happens as Jonah enters into that city, the whole city turns. And that's the beauty about it. As God uses us, as we stand in the position and leverage our purpose, all of a sudden things start to happen around us. More anointing, more, more, more power. God, God just starts to flow through us as we stand in position and live out this purpose. Let's talk about plan then, the last one. You know, it's only natural that we make plans for our lives. Like, I completely get that. Uh, in fact, because we are made in the image of God, we are made as creators. Um, probably the biggest fact around that would be the fact that we get to make children and, and like a whole other human being. That's the power to create that we have. That we get to create another life form. And so we are creators. And I know what it's like to, to have plans for your life. Um, you know, you think about the things that you want to achieve. Think about the places that you want to go. Think about the family that you want to have. And what we do with those is we also attach timings to it. Yeah, a hundred things that I want to do by a certain age. Or by the time I reach 40, I want these things to have happened. And I want my life to look like this. And I want to live in this sort of place. And I want to own this sort of house. And I want to be able to drive this sort of car. And I want to be able to do these sorts of things. Now, I plan. You plan. We all plan. I want to go on adventures. I want to, I want to do um, lots of traveling, you know, those are the sorts of things that we do and we plan. And there's something quite significant in the culmination of the book of Jonah. And as well, I really wanted to use him as a reference this morning because I really believe the state of his heart is often the state of our own. Jonah's gone into the city and he's walked through the city and he's, he's called them back into repentance and Jesus has practically saved the city because the king has called them to repent. And Jonah's sitting on the hill watching this play out. And as we know, if you dive into the text, that what Jonah really wanted was for the city to be eradicated. He wanted his enemy to be destroyed. And now he's gone into the city and he's messed that all up. Because he's leveraged his purpose and position and God's used his purpose in position and he's liberated the city. And here's Jonah. It says in Jonah 4, 1 to 4, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding, steadfast in love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, how's this? Please take my life from me. I mean, he just wants to die. God has used him to liberate a city, and the response to that is, kill me now. Well, we just have to just pause here because there's something in that. Because I, I, I think a lot of us can, can grab onto the idea, pitch up at work tomorrow, position, purpose. But I know a lot of you are still thinking, it's going to suck. <laughs> it's going to be tough. It's going to be a grind. And I've been there. I've come back to this a few times. That second time scripture is for me. All right, I'll pitch up again. I'll pitch up tomorrow. Pressing to my purpose. It's about the people. It's about love. It's about redemption. It's about the eternal thing. But, but Lord, it's tough. I found myself having a quiet time the other day, and I just had this question pop into my head. And I said, God, are, are you sure Jesus wasn't miserable? <laughs> are you sure? Like, I mean, he's walking every day. He's got these disciples, and they, they I mean, they're asking him questions. 
and they're doubting and he's trying to tell them parables and stories and they don't get it, you know? And then, and then he's got persecution coming at him from other angles and he's got to teach and he's got to minister and he's, he's surrendered to position, I get that. He's surrendered to purpose, I get that. But are you sure he just wasn't miserable? Because I'm in this, I'm in this, but I, I, still, I still feel miserable at times. And, and this has been the wrestle that, that, that brought me to this topic because I think we've all felt Jonah's pain. We're not looking at him through condemnation. We get that. It's tough. And so I can surrender to this thing, but, but, but will it make me happy? And then what about my actual plans? Like, what about that house in the mountains? You know? What about that car? What about that wife? What about that house? Are those things taboo? Are they to be cast aside as I sort of sacrifice that stuff and keep in my lane, keep in my position, keep in my, but if I do that, will I be happy? This is the tension. This is the reality. And whenever I've dealt with this reality in the past and the tension in the past, I've always come back to this one scripture. Psalm 37, 4, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And how I've read that as I've gone, well, well, if I do that, and I love God, and I delight myself in Him and whatnot, then thankfully there's a disclaimer because He will give me the desires of my heart. <laughs> give me what I want as well. So I'll, I'll, I'll put my, my hand to the groundstone here, and then one day I'll, I'll have the house in the mountains. And then this will be hard, but then I've got that to just give me some reprieve, and then I'll come back and keep doing this. You know what I mean? Have you read that scripture like that? He'll give me what I want if I just delight myself in Him. But I don't think that's what the Scripture says. I don't think that's the goal. And here's what I mean. As I've prayed into this and read around it and, and really just stopped in that tension and God, I, I want to know why I feel this way. I think it's important that we do that. Don't, don't ignore how you feel, the, the real raw feeling. Sometimes it's about coming before God and saying, Lord, I feel like this. I feel like doing what you asked me to do will make my life miserable. And I want to know why it won't. Lead me down this path. Because if you don't, then you're just ticking this box. Because your scripture says, but what does the scripture mean? And as I pushed into this, delight ourselves in the Lord to give us the desires of our hearts. Praying to this, reading something around, and I realized, hang on, hang on. This whole series has been about delighting yourself in the Lord. You know, when you, when you meet someone for the first time and you delight yourself in them, you, you get to know them, you get to love them, you, 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 you get attracted to their personality, you get wrapped up in their confidence. You know that your priorities become about them. So if you delight yourself in the Lord, silence and solitude, meditating in God's word, prayer, like actual delighting in God, it would make sense to me that as you delight yourself in the Lord, He will shift your priorities to line up with His priorities. In other words, the scripture might not be saying, love God and He'll give you what you want. Love God and you will love what He wants. This is a whole different way of living now because all of a sudden it means that if I delight myself in God, it might actually mean that I can fall in love with the mission. 
and that I can find life in the mission. I can find life in the purpose. I can find life in the position. And I can genuinely wake up and experience what Jesus experienced and that everything that he did, whilst of course it was tough and of course it was full of adversity, there was genuine satisfaction and fulfillment and joy and the fruits of the Spirit in the midst of the mission. Where that any other desire of my heart is completely peripheral and superfluous to this because my life is so wrapped up in who God is and I delight so much in Him that His priorities have become my priorities and we're working in sync, we're working in flow. And I wake up and I just can't wait to be in position and I can't wait to leverage purpose and I can't wait to liberate and I can't wait to see what He has for me and I can't wait to see what He points out to me in this day, whether it's in the canteen or in the, the aisle at spa or whatever it is because this is what my life's about. My life is surrendered to Him and I love it. And I'm saying that as a goal because that's where I want to get to. I don't want to be in the place anymore where like, I want that while I grind this. This is what I want to love. And that's, the, the, that's what he affords us the opportunity to do is to come into a place where we absolutely love who he is. Now, I have children. I have children. They love sweets. Anna, you love sweets, eh? Hmm? You love hamsters. Been asking me for a hamster. Desire. Gave her a hamster. Worst pet ever. <laughs> Trying to bite me the other day. It's already bitten her. It's, I don't know. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> got, the, got the hamster. I don't withhold sweets from my child. I give her sweets. As a father, I can tell you right now, I genuinely want to give this little girl the desires of her heart. God sees those things. That's what I'm trying to say. He sees, he sees the, the place that you want to live in. He sees the, the desire for adventure. He sees the desire for families, the desire for travel. And if I look back over my life, I can hands down say that God has given me so many of the desires. The place that he calls us into while he gives us those gifts is to love his priorities, is to love the work that he calls us to. So that means that we can have this. We can literally have this, church. We can be so full of joy so full of fulfillment, so full of satisfaction in the midst of the presence of our enemy, fulfilling our purpose in position, part of the redemptive plan of God, picking up the baton from those who have gone before us, handing it over to the people that are going to go after us. We can be so full of joy in that, and then we get a whole lot of other kiff stuff. Just, just little bonuses and gifts and stuff that, like, I learned that you want to do this, and here it is. I know you want this opportunity, and here it is. But that stuff adds on to the joy that comes from this. It's no longer this is tough and I hope I get this in the next five years. Or flip, I'm 49, this thing hasn't happened. And I'm going to put my hand to the groundstone over here. This is not the yoke that he calls us to. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Those desires are his desires. And that flow is going to generate such liberation and such freedom It has to change our experience of what it means to be a son or a daughter walking on this earth. It rids the anxiety. It rids the worry. It rids the depression. It rids the wrestling. It rids the, the scheming. It, it takes away the plotting. It takes away the, the, the angst about where to. It takes away the questions. It takes away everything because every day you just wake up surrendered and you go, this is it. God's got me. He's got my next step and he knows what's in here. And there's a gift coming. And there's influence coming and there's more impact coming. Surrendered to position. Surrendered to purpose in that position. And surrendered to the plan that God has. 
for our lives and the timing of his plan. Can we chase after that? Let's realign that today. Let's, let's, let's stand together. Let's just pray into this a little bit. I still want to leave this. I'll just, yeah. The astute amongst us or the, uh, the OCD peeps um, may realize I skipped over Jonah 2. And that's okay. You can go wherever you want when you teach. Jonah 3, 4. I could have gone 4, 1, and then 3 if I wanted to. But in Jonah 2, we know that that little part of the story was when he hopped into the boat and he was sailing towards Tarshish and this big storm came. And he was with some really good men on that boat. Um, they knew that he was running from the Lord, you know. And uh, they said to him, you know, well, what are we going to do? And he said, well, throw me over because it's my fault. And it says in the text that they, they tried so hard to row to the shore, but it just wasn't working. And so eventually they conceded and they threw Jonah over. And the story goes that Jonah was consumed by this large fish. And in the middle of this dark belly, in the middle of this dark space, in Jonah 2 verses 8 9, Jonah prays a prayer of repentance, of realignment and, and refocus. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And it really struck me that that prayer was so consumed by two things. It was consumed by one, repentance. I want to come back to this. I've been chasing after so much stuff. I've been chasing after all of this, these positions and these purposes and these plans so I just want to repent and I want to come back to you, but also a deep sense of gratitude. You know, a little bit later, it says, Lord, you, you really have rescued me from spaces, brought me out from dark spaces, brought me back into a spacious place. And I shout, but with shouts of grateful praise, I sacrificed you, grateful praise. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at iandurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.